Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. All right. Well, again, I just was just been enjoying myself this morning and tremendously was blessed by the Sunday School lesson. I love the Old Testament. Uh, it really was my area of study, uh, mostly. I mean, I've studied a lot of New Testament, but fo- I specialized, focused in seminary on the Old Testament. So I love preaching the Old Testament, but I'm not going to preach out of the Old Testament today. I'm going to preach out of the New Testament. And uh, so we're going to look at several passages here. Um, and the title of the message is A Tale of Three Fathers. A Tale of Three Fathers. You say, well, why don't you preach this on Father's Day? And I said, well, you didn't invite me on Father's Day. <laughs> So I'm going to preach it anyway. No, I think it's a great lesson for us. And uh, um, uh, it's uh, three passages. One is in John, one is in Luke, and one is in Mark. And don't worry, I am not going to give a detailed explanation, exposition of these passages this morning. But I do want to hit on what I think are some of the key components to each of those passages to help us. And as I was uh, listening to the Sunday School message this morning, it just struck me that the Lord in His providence and in His sovereignty really has dovetailed these messages together and that the, the, one of the main themes of the morning message of the morning Sunday school is actually tied in with what we're going to be doing here today. And I think you'll see that, those of you who were able to be here for that in the adult class this morning. So let's go ahead. Go to John chapter 4. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read. These are, these are not super long passages but they are a little bit more lengthy, so go ahead and get your Bibles out, and you follow along. And as you're looking at this, I want you to read actively. Follow along with me, but I want you to be thinking as you are following along and reading, and I especially would like you to be thinking, what do all these fathers have in common? What do all these fathers have in common? And I may well ask you a question like that. Are we allowed to do that during the morning message? I'm allowed to get participation uh, well, it doesn't matter if I'm allowed to because I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Green is not here, so he can't stop me. Uh, okay. John chapter 4. And we're going to just start with verse 46. John chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 46. It says, So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman there whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come from Judea of Galilee, he went to him and, and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said unto him, Except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down before my child die. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, that your son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour that he began to amend, and they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Okay, then if you would go to Luke chapter 8, verses 41 through 52. Luke 8, 41 through 52. So that's father number one. Luke 
It says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed by any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately the issue of her blood stanched or stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she, he had, she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. And while he yet spoke, there, came, there uh, came a ruler from the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came to the house, he suffered the man, or allowed the man to go in, uh, allowed no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, and he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, took her by the hand and called, and said, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her food. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. And that's father number two. Now, father number three, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 19. I'm sorry, 14 through 29. Mark chapter 9, 14 through 29. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question, what do you question with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a, has a dumb spirit or a spirit that causes muteness. And wherever he takes him, he tears him, and he foams and gnashes with his teeth and pines away. And I spoke to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you or put up with you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tore him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And, and, and he asked the father, how long is it ago since, he came, since this came to him? And he said, from a child. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father that cried, child out, cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and tore him sorely and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And, he, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Father, as we think about these passages, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand what it means uh, for you to work in our lives. 
Lord, I, I see the blessed Lord Jesus and his patience and his kindness and the way he worked with people and the way he helped them. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to honor you with our responses. Help me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to trust you even as I preach this message. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, so we have three fathers. Now, uh, let me ask you this question. What do these three fathers have in common? Anything you notice about these three fathers? They all have in common. They've got a number of things in common. They love their children. You can tell they love their children. They're, they're um, what else? Jesus was the only one that could help them. That's right. What, what else? I think I heard something here in the middle. Yeah, they, they, there was an issue of faith. We'll come back to that. Anything else? What else? Yeah, they all had a similar problem. Their child was sick uh, on the point of dying, right? I mean, it was a serious problem, and they are seriously distressed. Anything else? Um, these are good answers. Yeah, an issue of belief. And in fact, if you think about it, that is the issue of faith is at the core of all three of these passages. I don't know if you notice the places in key elements here when the Lord talks about faith. In the case of the first man, he said he told him to go his way and his child would be healed. Well, first he said, unless you, and that's plural, he's saying, unless you all, <laughs> right, unless all of you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the man says what? He says, come down before my child dies. And he says, go your way, your child will live. And it says the man believed his word and he went. So we'll talk about that a little bit, but belief is very important there. Then in the second account with Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, he was like sort of like the chief scribe of the synagogue. So he knew the law, but his, he had a problem. His daughter was sick and he couldn't do anything for her, and so he went to find Jesus. He found out that Jesus was coming out of uh, Judea in the south, and he was coming up to Galilee, and he went and found him. He went about, uh, about 10 miles, I think it is, to go find him and get him to come so that he could heal his daughter. And so, um, um, and so as, as he is talking to the Lord, I'm sorry, he's, I'm sorry, I got that confused. He is actually in Capernaum with Jesus, and he's trying to get him to come and heal his daughter. And um, when they tell him that his daughter has died, do you remember what Jesus said to him? He says, don't be afraid, just believe. So belief is important in that story. And then in the final story where we have um, here in Mark chapter 9, Jesus has come down from the mountain where he had been transfigured before the believer, before his, the, the three disciples, and he had shown his glory, and he comes back down, and now his disciples are in a big mess because they're trying to heal this boy, and they can't heal him. And so the scribes start arguing with them, and they're having a big problem. So Jesus comes down, and then the Father comes forward and says, if you can help us, if you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus says, if you can, be if you can believe, he says, all things are possible to those that belief. So faith here is really important. And I mentioned the Sunday school lesson because really the Sunday school lesson was about the failure of Israel. A lot of it was about the failure of Israel because and it, their failure, remember about the chariots, those of you who were here, the iron chariots, was their problem a military problem? No. What kind of problem was it? It was a faith problem. They didn't trust God. God had delivered them before and they didn't believe he'd do it again. And that's our problem too. 
But it's interesting that what we have here is, and I think we all face this, right? We have trials and we have needs and they seem to be too big for our faith. You ever have trials and needs that feel like they're too big for your faith? But because the Lord Jesus cares for us, because He loves us, He will use painful things in our lives to take our little faith and turn it into great faith. We start out with faith. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have faith. Uh, it says in First Peter, it says in Second Peter, um, add to your faith virtue. It, he assumes you have faith. Why does he assume that? Well, if you're a believer, you have faith, but it's often small faith, right? We see a discussion sometimes, and sometimes uh, it talks, Jesus talks about people's unbelief or non-faith. Sometimes he talks about the disciples' little faith or small faith. And every once in a while, he commends somebody and says, great is your faith. So although our faith starts out as a very simple faith in Christ for salvation, what is God doing in our lives as believers? He's growing our faith. And he, and he says this in a number of places in the Bible. It says in James chapter 1, he says, we're to count it all joy when we fall into different kinds of temptations. Why? Because the testing of our faith works endurance, perseverance, patience. It, it works in us the ability to continue on. And then that patience has its perfecting work or its completing work so that we can be mature and complete and lacking nothing of the character qualities of Christ in our lives. So there is this process whereby God is testing our faith and building our faith so that we can go through life and become more like Jesus. Peter also talks about the same kind of thing. He says, we greatly rejoice. He says, in your salvation, you greatly rejoice Although now, if need be, we're in heaviness or this, this pressure. We're under tremendous pressure for the time being that the trial or the trying or the proving of your faith, which is much more precious than of gold that perishes, might be found under praise and honor at glory when? At the appearing of Jesus, when Jesus Christ comes back. So this is, this is what God is doing. He is building our faith. And, it's, and it's, a, it's a wonderful encouragement to us to know that He's doing that. He, doesn't, he, he takes us where we are, right? God receives you where you are, but He doesn't leave you where you are. Our faith is small, our faith is weak, but God intends to build our faith. Well, the neat thing, in a way, about the one aspect of Scripture is God tells us what He's doing, but He also then gives us illustrations. He gives us examples of how He does it. One of the wonderful things about the stories of the Bible is that they involve real people with real problems, and we can relate to them, can't we? We can see that here's somebody, he's a father, and you, you can put yourself in his sandals, right, and say, what would it be like if it were my daughter who was about to die? Some of you have perhaps experienced that. Perhaps you've had a child who, who passed away or a child who was on the point of death or very seriously ill or had to have an operation. But even if you haven't had that, you can imagine what it must feel like as a parent for that to be happening to you. And so we put ourselves in the place of these fathers. But it's interesting that the Lord Jesus Christ deals with them in compassion about their problem their serious, serious problem, but
but he does so in a way that he gives them a spiritual blessing along with the blessing of dealing with their problem. He deals with their faith. And so we see here how the Lord Jesus Christ, in three different cases, builds the faith of these fathers, and in so doing, it's an object lesson to us to see how he'll build our faith too. So let's look at these individual, individual situations. So first of all, go back to John chapter 4. Okay, and again, I won't read it again because you've all, we've already read through that, but I will hit the high points. John chapter 4, and I think the main point we see here is that great faith makes difficult decisions. Great faith makes difficult decisions. And you say, well, why do you say that? Well, let's just kind of go through this a little bit here. Remember, this is the chapter, this is where Jesus was in Samaria. Remember, he talked to the, the woman at the well of Sychar, and he told her that he was the Messiah, and she told everybody else, and all these wonderful uh, conversions are taking place among the Samaritans. Well, Christ was going through, he was going from down in Jerusalem, he had been down there for the feast of the Passover, and he's going to go back up to Galilee. Remember, in the early part of his ministry, his headquarters was in Capernaum, which is right on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. That's where he had his main base, so to speak, for his ministry. So he's going back up that way, but he went through Samaria, and he witnessed to those folks, and then he gets up farther north, and he gets to Cana, the city of Cana. You may remember, John tells it, that's the place where he turned the water into wine. That was his, the first miracle that John records was in Cana of Galilee. He gets to Cana, and then a, a rich man, a noble man, right, comes down from Capernaum, which is, I, I believe it's about 10 miles away from Cana, and he, he hears that Jesus is coming, and he goes down there and says, please come down because my son is sick on the point of death. And, and um, so Jesus' response, right, it says here in verse 48, Jesus says that unless you see, and that, that you is plural there, right, unless you all, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And so what Jesus, he's, he's not just talking to the man, he's talking to whom? People in general, the people in general, unless they see signs and wonders, they won't believe. The idea is they're looking for something. They're looking for a reason to believe. Now, we find out later in John, you get to chapter 12, and he says, though he had done so many miracles among them, many of them did not believe. Probably the majority did not believe. So signs in and of themselves don't, don't make for faith. But he's pointing out that they're looking for some kind of sign before they'll believe. Now, notice the man's response. What does he say? Verse, yeah, what does he say in verse 49? Uh, before that, he said verse 49. He says to him what? Come down before my, my child dies. In other words, he's like, okay, I, okay, I get it, I, you know, I, but, but Lord, <laughs> come down before my child dies. And he's desperate, isn't he? He's desperate. And it's interesting, it's clear, I mean, the Lord never says anything by accident, right? The Lord never gets his priorities messed up. He's always doing the will of the Father. He's always doing what's best for people. So the Lord's focus is the right focus. And the man, though, but, and, but he's having compassion on the man because the man's like, I, how can I think about theology right now? 
right? <laughs> you ever get that way, right? You say, I know I should read my Bible, but and I'm so distressed I can't read my Bible. Well, that's exactly why you need to read your Bible, right? I'm, I'm, so, I'm so upset that I can't think about God. That's exactly why you have to think about God. I can't do anything but focus on my problem. That's why you've got to stop focusing on your problem and start focusing on God. Peter says, sanctify, set apart as holy, the Lord Jesus in your heart. And then you'll be able to give an answer to every man of the hope that lies within you. But you know, it's hard, right? Have you ever been in that position where you're just so distressed about something, all you can do is think about that something? And wouldn't we be tempted to do that if it were our child? Oh, no, I would be spiritual, right? So, so he says, come down. And the Lord has mercy on him. And look, what does, what does the Lord say to him? What does the Lord Jesus say to him? Yeah, go thy way. Go your way. Your son lives. Now, here's the thing. Think about what the Lord did to him, for him. He did it to him, but he also did it for him. Now he's in a bind. He has come to this teacher whom he believes from hearing reports, right, that he has power to heal people. So he's saying, come down and you can heal my child. And the Lord says, go away, go now, your child shall be healed. Now, do you remember anybody else? you remember somebody else that didn't need Jesus to come with him? The centurion who is a Gentile, by the way. This is fascinating, right? He's not, he's not one of God's chosen people. He's a Gentile. And yet, when Jesus says, I'll come, he says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. He says, you don't need to come. Don't bother yourself to come. I'm a man. I have authority. I have people under me. And if I tell a soldier to do this, to go there, he goes there. And if I tell another soldier to come here, he comes here. And if I tell my servant to do something, he does it. I have authority, therefore, and Jesus, and he, what he's implying is, you have authority over disease. You're not, just a, a, you're not just a magic worker. You're not just a miracle worker who goes and has to get power, you know, and, and, and call down power from heaven and get close so that the power can radiate through you. You know how, you know, what we're thinking, right? He's not, no, 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 you have authority. In other words, you're in charge of the world. You're not, just this, you're not just the Jewish Savior, the is Israel's Messiah. You are the Lord of the universe. You control disease. You tell it to leave, it'll do what? It'll leave. And Jesus says, I have not found such great faith in Israel. He says, the Israelites don't know that about me. Right? Well, this man, this father, is not there yet. <laughs> right? He doesn't come with that faith, does he? But what does Jesus make him do? He makes him choose, doesn't he? And now he's in a bind because I've come to the miracle worker and I'm asking him to come down and now he's telling me I don't need to come down. If I say, no, no, you have to come, well, now I'm doubting him, aren't I? If I go, what if he can't do it from a distance, right? So the Lord's put him in a box. So what does he do? It says he believed his word, and he went. So he exercised, see, he, he exercised faith to come, and then the Lord made him exercise greater faith to go. Then notice what happens. He gets there, and, he, and, and his servants come and meet him, and he says to them, and they say, your son is better. He's getting better. He lives. And he says, when did he start to get better? And they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, his fever left him, and he knew it was exactly the moment that Jesus said, your son lives. And then it says, he believed. <laughs> yeah. 
See, in other words, now, see, so you got, you, got little, you got little faith, you got greater faith, and now you got what? Greater faith. Now he believes who Jesus is. See, now he's kind of the place where the centurion already was. So what did the Lord Jesus do for this man besides heal his son? He built his faith. He built his faith. But he built it by forcing him to make a choice. And that's an important point about faith. Faith involves a choice. This is true of saving faith. All right, I like to use this illustration, you know, because I, 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 in my ministry work and my mission work, doing some traveling and things like that. And, and so I'd be on a plane, you know. And so if you're talking with somebody and you want to, or someone who, who likes to fly or whatever, you say, okay, let's talk about this. You say, do you trust this airplane and this pilot and these, this airline? And, and uh, you know, well, you know, I could go out and I could say, okay, yeah, I, I, I've looked at all the statistics. Air travel is the safest travel that there is. Right, it's safer than driving. It's safer than in pretty much any other way you can travel, certainly per passenger mile. Very safe. And they have all these procedures to make it safe. Okay, so I've, I've got a very high confidence in that. And plus, you know, I could go and maybe I, if I had the ability, I would go talk to the airline and talk to their mechanic, right, and say, okay, yeah, this is how we service the plane. Here are all the records. And, you know, if they would let me, I'd go, I'd kick the tires a little bit or look around at the control surfaces and say, yeah, you know, and go check the pilot's record, no accidents, has a lot of training on this model and all of this. And so I could, I could intellectually, right, I could have all that and say, yeah, I trust this plane. I trust this flight. But when do I really trust it? When I get on it and I let them take me up to 30,000 feet. That's when I trust it. In other words, yes, faith involves the intellect, right? It, it, it involves my knowing something and believing that it's so. Jesus is the Messiah. And I have to know what that means. I have to know the truth. Jesus is the Savior. I have to know I'm a sinner. I have to know that Jesus is God, that he came in the flesh, he became human, and he died on the cross for me, and that he rose again for me, and that he will save me right, if I trust in him. I have to know those facts and whatever other facts go with that to help me believe that. But I believed that for many years before I ever was a Christian. I thought I was a Christian. I was a nominal Christian. I was a creedal Christian. I said a creed. But I was not born again because that's not enough. It's necessary but not sufficient. You also have to have a conviction that it's true, right, that it's right. Yes, this is true. I must believe this. And God began working that in my heart. But then finally, it's a decision of the will. I will do this. See, and that's, that's in it. So you don't have to pray a prayer. I don't think it's like you have to pray a specific prayer to get saved. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord must, uh, shall be saved. Why? Because calling is deciding. Right? It's actually getting on the plane. Whether you do it out loud, whether you do it in your heart, whatever the words you use, you are you are trusting, not just believing intellectually. Now, what is true of salvation is also true of growing faith. What is true of saving faith is true of growing faith. Growing faith is not just knowing the facts. It's making decisions that put the facts into practice. It means when you know something is right, but it seems like it's going to cost you something, and it seems like it's not going to work out, but you know what God says, and you know it's right, what do you do? You say, nevertheless, at your word, I will do it. See, and that's what builds our faith. Faith requires us to make decisions. So maybe God has got you in a place right now where he's testing your faith or he's building your faith. And part of that is you're having to make a decision. And part of that decision is, am I going to trust what God says or am I going to trust how I feel about this? 
Now, I understand there are complex situations, and maybe we don't know the Lord's will yet. But part of trusting God is trusting that if we go to Him and ask Him for wisdom with an undivided heart, what will He do? He'll give it to us, right? That's part of the faith, right? God doesn't want you to be in the dark, right? He wants you to know His will. Now, sometimes He waits, and that's really the next point. Uh, the, first, the first account teaches us that great faith requires making difficult choices. But also great faith endures difficult delays. And that's in, uh, that's in Luke uh, chapter 8. And I'm not going to read this whole account either because we already read it. Luke chapter 8. Verses 41 through 56. Remember, this is Jairus. He's the ruler of the synagogue, meaning, again, I mentioned the chief scribe in the synagogue, administrator. So he knew the Old Testament really well. He knew the Hebrew Bible very well. And his daughter, is, is, uh, who's 12 years old, is sick to the point of death. And so he comes to Jesus, and he says, please come. So Jesus says he'll go. Now, as he's going, he is being mobbed, right, by the mob. <laughs> he's being the, the crowd. The crowd is pushing on him because he's doing miracles. Everyone wants to get close to him. Everyone wants to be around him, right? He is a sensation. And so now I want you to think about the, you're the father now, right? So you ever, you ever try to, you know, your child is really sick. Maybe they, I remember our first pastor, his little daughter, she got, what's called epiglottitis, which is kind of like meningitis, except it's here in the, in the voice box. And she was getting to where she couldn't breathe, and they had to get her to the emergency room. And she, she ended up recovering and was fine. But imagine your child has been stung by a bee and is allergic and starts to swell up and can't breathe, right? What are you thinking? I got to get her, I got to get her help now, right? And then you're in traffic. What happens you get in traffic, right? How are you feeling at that point? I mean, you think about it, I, I, I have a cow if I can't get to my appointment on time because of traffic. What about if it's your child? So here's, and he's trying to get the Lord to come, and the Lord has agreed to come, but it's like, okay, we've got to push our way through the crowd, and all the crowd is coming, and everybody's around him. How, what must he be thinking? Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. You know, please get out of the way. Please get out of the way. No, this is an emergency. Please let us through. And then a woman who has for 12 years, which is the same amount of time as, as this little daughter has been alive, she's had an issue of blood, which in the Old Testament economy, in the, I mean, in the Old Testament law, made her unclean. She could never go to the temple. She couldn't go to the temple and worship. For 12 years, she was cut off because of this uncleanness, and she has spent all her money on doctors, and they can't help her. She was made no better, and she spent all of her money, and she's at the end of her rope, and she just says, but she says, if I could only touch the edge of his garment. Now, remember, if you touched a person or were touched by a person that was unclean, that made you what? Unclean, ritually unclean. And you had to go through purification until the evening. By the way, when Jesus touches someone who's unclean, he makes them clean. He doesn't, they don't make him unclean. Isn't that a blessing? Jesus come and came and gave you a big hug, even though you were a dirty, rotten sinner, just like I was and am. And he still gives us a big hug. And we don't defile him. He cleanses us, doesn't he? So she touched it. And immediately, immediately, she's healed. What, what faith? What incredible faith. And that's what he said. He said, daughter, 
called her daughter. Isn't that interesting? Child of God. He called her daughter. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Then what? But, well, that's wonderful. But how are you feeling if you're Jairus? See what I'm saying? How are you feeling if you're him? Um, <laughs> this is wonderful, but, <laughs> you know, this is great, but. And then they come to him and say what? Don't bother him anymore. It's too late. Too late. She died in the ambulance, right? The, the, the EMTs didn't get there in time, right? It's too late. And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, only believe. Only believe. And so they go on, and what does Jesus do? He only lets the father and mother, and, and I think it's, uh, is it Peter and James and John, go in. He doesn't let anybody else go in. The mourners, he says, no, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And they laugh. They just mock him. He puts all of them out. And he raises her from the dead. So now what's happened? See, now Jairus knows he can't just heal people. He can what? He can raise the dead. He can raise the dead. See, small faith, little bigger faith, great faith. He's working that. But sometimes that requires delays. You've been praying for somebody to get saved for a long time? You ever gotten in the place of feeling like this is never, it's never going to. I've prayed for decades for this person. It's never going to happen. Have you, have you prayed that God would really help you with some real serious spiritual need in your life? You're saying, I w really wish I could get victory over this. I've had struggled with this sin for 20 years as a Christian or 30 years as a Christian. And, and, I, and I really, really want to get victory over it. And I prayed and God hadn't answered me yet. Remember the story of the widow? Look at Luke 18. Luke 18. Remember the story of the widow? Jesus told the story, the parable of a widow. He says there was a widow in the city. There was a ruler, and the ruler was not a godly ruler. In fact, he was not even a good ruler. He didn't fear God. He didn't regard people didn't regard man. In other words, he didn't care. He just was like, hey, I do what I want. He was a bad ruler. And this widow said, avenge me, you know, give me justice from my enemy. Someone is, someone is doing injustice to me. Someone is oppressing me. And widows, of course, in that culture, didn't, in society and economy, didn't have resources. There was nobody to help her. The only person she could go to was the judge of the city. And the judge is like, I don't care. But she kept coming. And finally he says, Look, I'm going to give her what she wants because she's just going to keep wearying me. She's going to keep bugging me, and so I'm just going to give her what she wants. Now, he's, now, what the Lord Jesus says is, if that's what an, an unjust ruler would do that, how much more will your heavenly Father do that? Right? But I, I want to I focus on here something. Notice what he says here in verses 7 and 8. Luke 18, 7 through 8. And shall God not avenge his own elect, his people, 
when they cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them, or though He's long-suffering with them. And there's some debate about exactly the reference there, but it's pretty clear that it seems like He's not answered. For whatever reason, God hasn't done what? You, you, you ask Him for something, and He doesn't answer yet. And He doesn't answer. And you keep coming day and night, day and night. And then it says, but I tell you, He will avenge them speedily or soon. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you said that He's waiting, right? Well, if you look at the context of this, He's even describing, He even says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? In other words, God's timetable is not my timetable, right? Things seem a long time to me, but they don't seem like a long time to God. Now, I don't know if you've experienced it when you were a child, right? It, doesn't time go by slower when you're a child than when you're older? I think it really does. The older I get, the quicker things go by, right? And I remember sitting, taking trips with my parents in the car. Oh, it would never end, right? Church, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> church would never end. I'd be sitting there in my little tie and everything. One time I went to church, and, and uh, one time I went to church as a kid, and we were visiting my grandparents, so we, we brought our church clothes with us, and had a little white shirt and my little tie, and so I had it on, and I just felt so uncomfortable the whole time, and, and, and it turned out, you see, my, I was the big brother, and my little brother's little brother, and I had put on his clothes, and he had <laughs> put on my clothes, <laughs> and so he's like, he looks like he's in a tent, and I'm like, Bruh. And I thought the service would never end, <laughs> right? Remember the old Boulevard commercials, some of you who are my age, and you know, you remember the Boulevard, you know, minutes pass like hours when you're waiting for someone, right? Remember that? Others, you don't remember that. But the point is, it seems like he's never going to what? He's never going to answer. But, but if, if Jairus hadn't had to wait and see the example of this woman who had such faith in the Lord Jesus, would he have gotten the benefit of being able to see his daughter raised from the dead? No. So now he has a faith from having had that experience. So God builds great faith by making us make hard choices. God builds great faith by causing us to endure difficult delays. But then the third, and that's in Mark chapter 9, God builds great faith by causing us to admit difficult truths. So go to Mark. Okay, as I mentioned, Mark chapter 9. This is the third father. This is right after Jesus has been transfigured on the mountain. He's got three of his disciples with him. They see it. They still don't get it because Peter's still trying to keep him from going to the cross. Right? So they still don't totally get it. The other, the other, the nine disciples, they don't get it. They're down the mountain, and they're not able to help this person, and they're getting in a big argument because the scribes are now probably saying, well, you say your you're, you're rabbi's a good rabbi, but why can't you heal this fella? And so they're having this big dispute. And in the middle of all this, again, right, the father's like, please, I just want my son healed. <laughs> my son is demon-possessed. It's causing him to have uh, an epileptic-like uh, uh, reaction. It it's, it kills, it's like it threatens to kill him. He falls in the fire. He falls in the water, right? It's like, oh, and just help me. And then all these people are arguing, right? It turns into a big, a big religious debate, and I just want help. So he goes to Jesus. He says, I brought him, and the disciples weren't strong enough to help him, okay? They weren't strong enough. 
And Jesus says, oh, faithless generation, how long will I be with you? And there's a debate about who he's talking about (laughs) there. He might be talking about the disciples. And it's not like, okay, I'm frustrated at you. I'm mad at you. I'm frustrated at you. It's more like, I'm not going to be here forever. You guys are going to have to get this. (laughs) You have to learn this lesson, right? You're going to have to learn the lesson. And he says, um, he says, how long will I be with you? Then he, then he asks the father how long this has happened. And so the father just kind of spills his heart. He says, ever since he was a little child. And, 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 and it takes him and it seizes him and it causes him to lock up and foam at the mouth. And then sometimes it tries to kill him, this demon. And, it, and he falls in the fire and he falls in the water. And he says, if you can do anything, help us. Have compassion on us if you can do anything. So uh, now imagine this fellow, this man. He had enough faith to bring his son to Jesus, right? But what happened before Jesus gets there? The disciples can't do it. So what is that going to do to the father's faith? Well, you're his disciples, and they can't do it, so maybe what? Maybe Jesus can't either. And Jesus' response is, he, he, he puts the words back to the man. He says, if, notice he says, if thou canst believe. He says, if you can believe. The, the man said, if you can, help us. And he says, if you can, and then he says, all things are possible, those that believe. So he says, the issue isn't what I can do. The issue is whether you believe I can do it. See, what you need is faith. Now, it doesn't mean that Christ needed his faith to heal It's not like Christ can't heal without, Christ can do anything he wants. He's God. The point is he didn't want to heal him without the Father's faith because that's the most important thing is that we believe in God, right? God can do good things for us. How many people do you meet that say, oh, yeah, I know I'm saved. Well, how do you know you're saved? Well, God's just been so good to me my whole life. Look, God's good to lost people. God saved a lot of lost people from death. God looked after a lot of lost people in the military, there are a lot of lost people, their buddy got it, but they didn't get it. Just because God's been good to you, that doesn't mean you're saved. He's, he's waiting for you. He's, he's being patient with you so that you can come to him in salvation. But just because God's been good to you some in this life, that doesn't mean. God's good to everyone. He says he makes his sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. So, so yes, yes, God, Jesus is going to heal the son. He wants to heal the son. But the father needs more than that. He needs faith in God. And so he says, all things are possible for those that believe. Now, this is interesting. Notice what the Father says. It says here in in, in straightway or right away, the Father cried out and said in tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Or even help me in my unbelief. Yes, I believe, but I know my faith is what? I know my faith is weak. I may not believe as much as you'd like me to believe, but I, I need your help. By the way, if you believe that Jesus will help you even though you certainly don't deserve it and don't have enough faith to ask for it, isn't that faith? <laughs> Doesn't it take faith to believe that God will help you even though your faith is weak? When we come to God and say, look, I can't do it, Lord. I can't do it. I can't preach this sermon. I can't witness to this person. I can't help these folks. I can't help my child. I just can't do it. And I'm not even sure i got enough faith to believe I, that you can do it sometimes. I admit it. I mean, what, what do we, you know, you try to hide something from God? You know, oh, yeah, Lord, I, I believe. 
It's like he doesn't know. <laughs> so what does the man do? The man is he makes <laughs> he makes a, he he admits a difficult truth. He admits his faith isn't sufficient. And what does the Lord do? He heals his son. He heals his son. And it's interesting. This was a lesson not just for the man. It's a lesson also for the disciples. Because the disciples come and said, we couldn't cast them out. They go in the house, right? And they say, we couldn't cast them out. Why couldn't we cast them out? And he says here in Mark, this is fascinating, he says, only by prayer and fasting. You're thinking, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about faith. What does is, what is prayer and fasting have to do with that? What's this idea about prayer and fasting? Well, it's interesting. If you go to Matthew chapter 17, we have the parallel account. And the Lord told them that, but He also told them something else. So Mark gives us part of what the Lord said, and Matthew gives us another part of what the Lord said. Notice in verse 20, the first half of verse 20, when they ask, chapter 17 of Matthew, Jesus, asked, uh, Jesus responded to them, because of your unbelief. He says, if you, had as, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed. Any of you have a garden? We don't. Do you grow mustard plants, anybody? We don't, I don't guess we do much with mustard plants. Maybe we grow chilies or jalapenos or something, right? But as you know, mustard seeds are really little bitty seeds, and they grow to be great big plants. The kind of mustard seed that, that we, is talked about in the Bible would be a little bitty seed that grows to a big plant. So it's interesting that his point is that because of your unbelief or lack of faith, sometimes he tells them that they have little faith, small faith, but the mustard seed illustration shows us that it's not quantity that's the issue. It's the quality of your faith. What made the centurion's faith so great? It wasn't the intensity of his emotion or the, the intensity of the, the the degree of his calm, it wasn't his internal feeling. It wasn't, I really, 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 really believe, right? You ever pray and say, God, I'm going to work myself up to faith that's going to make you do this. That's, it's not twisting God's arm. Our faith doesn't force God to do stuff for us. Faith takes God at his word. What made the centurion's faith great was what he believed about Jesus. <laughs> he believed the truth, that he is the son of God, that he rules the universe. So the point about the mustard seed is you're not getting it. You're not getting it. Well, if you put that together with what he said in Mark about prayer, I think it becomes apparent. Because what does prayer really do? When I ask God to do something, what am I admitting? I can't do it. The self-sufficient person doesn't pray. And when we're self-sufficient, guess what we're not doing? Praying. Now, we might be saying prayers, but have you ever been a place where you had no hope without God? What were your prayers like then? You know, we need to be there all the time. Jesus had given the disciples the authority to cast out demons. Why can't they do it? It seems apparent that they're not trusting him. They're trusting themselves. Well, I can do that. I got that. I preached messages before. I can, I can stand up and preach a message. I've witnessed before. I can do that. I know how to handle this financial situation. And as we are self-sufficient, we're not praying. We're not praying. We're not admitting, we're not believing our own dependence on God. But great faith, right? Christ builds in us great faith by causing us to admit difficult truths. Like 
the weakness of our own faith. The Bible does not teach fake it until you make it. The Bible teaches trust God to make it and you won't have to fake it. <laughs> okay? That's what the Bible does. We don't need to pretend. My faith is weak. Right? I have problems. I'm a mess. <laughs> so are you. I say that on faith. I don't, I don't know what your messes are, but I say that as a matter of principle. We are all a mess. But the point is that, yes, our faith is weak. Yes, God wants to take our small faith and make it great faith. But more than that, right? I mean, He does it through the circumstances that come into our lives, through the hard things, through the trials. He, he leads us to make hard decisions, decisions that show that we trust what He says. He leads us to endure difficult delays, even though we don't know why God is not answering our prayers right away. He causes us to admit difficult truths, like the fact that our faith isn't what it ought to be. But as we do that, what is happening to our faith? It's growing. It's growing. Until one day it shall be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want great faith? Let God build it. Let God build it. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the fact that you are building faith in us. And I pray now that you would so work in our hearts that we would genuinely trust you. And we admit, Lord, we admit the weakness of our faith. It's, it's an amazing thing. Sometimes the disciples would say things in faith, and then sometimes they would just totally not get it. And we're that way too. Even though we have the Holy Spirit, even though we have the resources of your word, yet we oftentimes don't trust you. But we admit it. We admit it. We need you, Lord. We need you to work in our hearts. We need you to work in our lives. Let me just ask a few questions. Just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. Just a few questions. First of all, I want to ask, is there anybody here and you're not sure you've gotten on the airplane of salvation? In other words, you're not sure. You're not sure. You, you, maybe, you, maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you know a lot about the gospel. Maybe you don't. But you realize that you've not put your faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Maybe you're, you're confused about it and you don't know yet. Well, that's, if you have questions, get your questions answered. But maybe it's because you just have never trusted, right? It's just in your head. It's not, it's not in your heart. You're not trusting in the Lord Jesus. If that's you, would you talk to somebody? Would you talk to somebody? Would you find somebody here in this room? I would venture to say that most of the people in this room could, could explain to you the simple gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Don't just stay in that position. Don't stay in that state. Don't keep doubting. Don't let fear of what people will think about you keep you from getting the help you need. That's a foolish, foolish decision. Make the right decision. Trust the Lord. And if you're a believer... Maybe you need to say to the Lord to this. In, in a particular trial, you're in a particular circumstance right now where God is building your faith. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I choose to take you at your word. If you say it, I believe it. 
Now, we're not talking about substituting what you think he might be saying or what you would like him to say or what other people are saying he's saying. I, I'm, I'm pointing out this is when God has made some things clear in his word, and you know from the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the, and the clarity of his word that God is wanting you to make a certain decision or make certain decisions a certain way in a God-honoring way. And maybe you struggle with that because it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. But you would say, Lord, I, what, I choose to take you at your word. What you show me, I'll do. Or maybe you need to say this, Lord, give me the grace to persevere. I'm making the right decision, but it's not been working out. I've been doing what you told me, but it's, it's difficult. I've been praying, but I'm not getting the answers. Would you keep on praying and keep on asking? and keep on knocking, and keep on obeying, and keep on trusting. Lord, give me the grace to continue because I know you've got a lesson in this for me because you're building my faith. And then finally, Lord, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this. My faith is really small. When I look at what's before me and I think of how I need to trust you, I'm just not sure I can do it. Lord, you've got to help me. Save me from myself. Save me from my own unbelief. Save me from my doubt. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. If that's you, pray that to the Lord. Dear Father, you're so gracious and kind to us. You, you give us all the resources that we need, and we appropriate all that by faith. But not only that, you build our faith. So I pray, Lord, that would be the truth in our lives, that we would have our faith built up and augmented and made more like our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.